going over old seminary tales the other night, and uh, when we sung this hymn, I couldn't help but think of it. My hope is built on nothing less. And we had certain professors that when we came out of the room, we were saying, my hope is built on less and less <laughs> because of what we heard. But what you're going to hear this morning won't be that way. We're continuing our lesson from the book of Acts. We've been looking at highlights and conversions that are here. Uh, Richard had finished reading to you about how Paul and Silas were placed in stocks in an inner prison. When your mind is in Christ, uh, your feet may be in stocks, uh, but you can still sing praises to the Lord. And so we pick up at verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's a key thing. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. And he called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he had brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them at that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and he set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. And when the day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release these men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now therefore come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and they have thrown us into prison. And now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed but let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. And when they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they were encouraged, and then they departed. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this portion of his word. Oh, God, our Heavenly Father, thou hast been so good to us. We praise you for your goodness, for the measure of health which we enjoy, for the remarkable freedoms which are ours in this country, and for the blessing of loved ones and others who cheer and help us, and for the bright inspiration of lives that are dedicated to Christ to encourage us, for new Christian homes that are established, 
and for the blessings that we know in so many ways in Montreat. We pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to treasure these good gifts and to use them wisely and always to your glory. We pray that you will help us to love one another and that you will help us from your word to understand that all things do work together for good to those who love you, who are called according to your purpose, and that you will bless the gifts which we bring, both of the material possessions which we have and of the talents and possessions of time that we have in life, and use them all to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Things do not always go smoothly in Christian work. Things do not always go smoothly in life. I clipped out of a newspaper some time ago an article uh, about a poor Irish immigrant who had come to Canada. And uh, uh, an hour after beginning a new job, which involved him in moving a pile of bricks from the top of a two-story building uh, down to the ground, uh, he suffered an accident which put him in the hospital. And he was instructed by his employer to fill out an accident report requesting sick leave. This is the accident report. He said, thinking I could save time, I rigged a beam with a pulley at the top of the house and a rope leading down to the ground. I tied an empty barrel on one end of the rope and pulled it up to the top of the house and fastened the other end to a tree. Then going upstairs to the top of the house, I took the bricks and filled the barrel with the bricks. Then I went down to unfasten the rope and to let it down to the ground. Now, unfortunately, the barrel was now heavier than I was. And before I knew what was happening, the barrel with the bricks jerked me up into the air and I hung on to the rope. But unfortunately, halfway up, I met the barrel coming down. <laughs> Receiving a severe blow on my left shoulder, I then continued on up to the top, banging my head on the beam and jamming my hands in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground, it split apart. The bricks uh, were now I, now, I was not heavier than the barrel. Unfortunately, I started down at top speed. Now, halfway down, I met the pieces of the barrel coming up, <laughs> receiving several cuts and contusions from the sharp edges. At this point, I became confused <laughs> because for some reason, I let go of the rope and then the rest of the barrel came down and struck me on the head. I awoke in the hospital, and I respectfully request sick leave. <laughs> now, we laugh at these things because they tell us that things do go wrong. And they also go wrong even with the best of missionaries and the best of Christians. But the marvelous thing about God is that he can make all things work together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And if you take the trouble to read 
some of the verses just prior to chapter 16, verses in chapter 15 of Acts, you will see that a dispute arose in the early church. And the, it's interesting to study how that is settled. Uh, the scripture union, which I'm always trying to encourage you to read for one reason, it sticks to the passage of scripture and helps you in understanding it. It gives us some ideas about how to settle disputes, be willing to talk about it, be willing to hear all sides, seek help from the Bible, respect people's feelings, submit to God's will, then communicate the decision. Well, this was done. And so when it was done, Paul and Barnabas were to go and take the results of that decision back to their churches. Now, Barnabas had a nephew whose name was John Mark and he wanted to take him with them. But Paul did not want to take John Mark because John Mark had gotten uh, homesick and had deserted them on their previous missionary journey. And Paul did not think it was a good idea to take him. And if you take the trouble to look at 1536, you see that after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas was desirous of taking John called Mark along with him, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement. In Greek, the word sharp disagreement is paroxysm, and paroxysm means they threw a fit. They had a real disagreement. And so they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark, and I'm glad he did, because you wouldn't have any gospel of Mark in your New Testament if he hadn't. And Peter wouldn't have had anyone to write down uh, his memories of what Jesus had said and taught, and probably first and second Peter as well. And so Barnabas uh, showed good sense in, in uh, taking John Mark with him. Now, this does not mean that Paul was altogether wrong. There are not very many Pauls. Uh, Paul would have been a person of tremendous intensity and devotion to what he was doing. And so he would have had little patience with someone who went away. But we're thankful for the patience that Barnabas showed with Mark. And later, Paul recognizes this and sends for Mark to come and help him when he is in prison. And he gives him a great compliment. He says, I can always use a man like him. And so uh, they split up at this point. Barnabas takes Mark with him and goes away to Cyprus. I went one time to Cyprus and sought to trace this journey. And when I think of Paul walking all the distance that I went by car and over rough and terrible country, it gave me a new appreciation for the dedication and the discipline of these who loved the Lord so greatly and who worked so hard. So Paul chose Silas and departed, uh, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We need to strengthen one another in the Lord. Then we read of how they come to Lystra, and here let me say there is a word of encouragement. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. 
Now that meant there was a split home. One was a believer, one was not a believer. And sometimes I'm talking to people who go through this in their homes, but don't give up. You may have a Timothy there, and so there is encouragement for you. Uh, Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren, and Paul wanted this man to go with him. Paul was always looking for someone that he could coach and teach and disciple. If you are a Christian, if Jesus Christ is more than just a name in a book, if he's your Lord and Master, are you communicating that to anyone else? If not, why not? Christians are born again in order that they might reproduce Christians. And your responsibility ought to be to pray that God would allow you to influence someone else so that you can lead them into a knowledge of the Savior. Remember that. That's not the work just of the clergy or the elders or the missionaries. It's your work and God Almighty will hold you responsible one day. One day when you leave this life and you go into the presence of God, uh, he's not going to be so interested in all the different things that men down here think are interesting. I sometimes think that the angels must fold up in laughter at the names on buildings that have been dedicated uh, uh, because uh, so little of it is really for the glory of the Lord. It's for the vanity of men. Not that there are not exceptions to that, but believe me, uh, there's a lot there that doesn't match up with what Jesus teaches about giving. Uh, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and so he took him. Now, he circumcised him because of the Jews. He wanted him to be acceptable and uh, uh, because they knew he was a Greek. And, or at least had a Greek father. And now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees, that is, they were taking the decrees that we talked about a moment ago, which had been decided on by the council in Jerusalem, by the apostles and the elders. That means there was an orderly government that existed. And so the churches were being strengthened. Uh, they were being strengthened in the faith, and they were increasing in number. Now is where we pick up what uh, Richard read to us a moment ago. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I get a little announcement sometimes from a good organization called Open Doors with Brother Andrew, where here is Closed Doors with Brother Paul. Uh, he tried to get into a place, but the Holy Spirit, for some reason, forbade them to go there because the Holy Spirit... You know, there's a verse in the book of Revelation that teaches us that God opens doors that no man can close, and he closes doors that no man can open. And so sometimes we are led by a door being closed, and that's important to remember too. The Holy Spirit forbade them to speak the word in Asia, that is, at this particular time. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to get into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus, that's an unusual phrase, did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a certain man of Macedonia was standing, appealing to him, and saying to him, 
come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. The we is important because it means that the writer of the book of Acts joins them at this point. The we is Luke, the beloved physician, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. We. This is a very important uh, thing to notice at this particular point. Now the commentaries vie with each other in trying to figure out how Paul recognized in his vision that this man was from Macedonia. And uh, I was reading William Barclay. He said that uh, this man from Macedonia was Alexander the Great. Man, there are all kind of fanciful interpretations to try to explain how they recognized he was a Macedonian or a Greek. Well, the common sense approach would tell me, he says, come over to Macedonia and help us. That ought to be it. If a Texan says, come over into Texas and help us, I assume he's from Texas. And uh, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now they obey and they are called by God. Someone didn't punch out the computer and, uh, and get the readout on it. They're called by God. I wonder if Paul filled out some of the forms that ministers have to fill out today and saw some of the psychological testing that you have to go through, he would have flunked them. Uh, it's uh, really, I know those things can be helpful, but they certainly should not be definitive. Uh, God calls whom he pleases, and he just delights in humbling us by what he does when he calls a Dwight L. Moody or he calls a Billy Graham who didn't even go to one of our seminaries or he calls someone else. You see, God will do what he pleases and God will use whom he pleases. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. Uh, that's a nautical term, by the way. Uh, it means that the wind was in back of them and gave them a push and uh, uh, so they were able to make good time following to Neapolis, they would have passed uh, that winged victory statue that you sometimes uh, see. Uh, it would have been there at the time Paul went there. And from there to Philippi, this city was named after uh, uh, Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. And it was a, a leading city of the district. Uh, some of us have been there. And uh, you go to that area, you remember if you're a student of the uh, letter of, that Paul wrote to the Philippians, uh, that it was a Roman colony. Uh, it was settled by Romans who had the privilege not to, of having not to pay taxes. Roman soldiers who retired there and the government wanted them there and they said, look, if you stay in Philippi, uh, which is named after uh, um, Philip, uh, and we're trying to create this to be a distinguished city. We're going to exempt you from taxes. You could make a city grow real quick um, if you operated that way today. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. There was no synagogue. The Jewish law said that if there were ten male Jews 
that they should band together and have a synagogue. Evidently, there was some anti-Semiticism here, uh, so they're not, uh, there's not a synagogue. But there is a place of prayer. And uh, I have a, a little notation in my Bible. You can see it right there. Uh, it, it says a funny thing happened on the way to prayer meeting because this is what takes place. Uh, Paul was going to this prayer meeting, which was down by the riverside, and uh, look what happens. Uh, he, on a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, this would have been a person of considerable wealth. Now here you see three different kinds of people that are going to be uh, converted. Uh, one of them is Lydia. She would have been a representative of a wealthy, intellectual woman. It is a great thing for us to recognize that the Jews of this time attracted large numbers of people to faith in the God of the Bible. And I mean by that the Old Testament and then the Messianic sayings that showed that Jesus is the Messiah. Because the old gods were worn out and there were intellectual people who were sick of them, fed up with them, bored with them. They saw in sensuality nothing else uh, that was worthwhile, and they were looking for something lofty and powerful and good. And they saw in the Ten Commandments, and they saw in the words of the prophets, and they saw in the sayings of Jesus, and in the things about Jesus as the Messiah, and in his resurrection from the dead, uh, and in the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and then the preaching of the gospel, the good news even to them that they could be saved, and they were attracted to it. And this is good to remember, because there are people like that today. I thank God for the conversion of Malcolm Muggridge, the tremendous British intellect. I saw him not long ago on a rerun on Channel 2 television, uh, the educational channel, uh, talking with uh, several people. And uh, he mentioned uh, Solzhenitsyn, he mentioned Stalin's daughter, he mentioned others who were converted to Christ, uh, people who have seen uh, that there is much in this life that will not satisfy. And so they turned to God. This is a rich lady and uh, a person of some intelligence. And uh, she is there at this prayer meeting by the riverside, and we read the key words, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. If any person is truly converted, they are converted because the Lord opens their heart. That's what we want to pray for is that the Lord will make our hearts open and receptive. Not like hard, packed down dirt that the seed lies on top of, but open and receptive to receive the Word of God. And when she and her household had been uh, baptized, uh, she had been instructed in the faith and was baptized, she said, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into our house and stay here, and she prevailed upon them. As a result of her conversion, uh, she manifested a very generous uh, spirit, and this uh, we see also. Now, this is the funny thing that I was going to mention. It happened that we were going to the place of prayer, back there to that prayer meeting, 
a little house church. Our Chinese friends will appreciate this. And a certain slave girl having a spirit of divinitation met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. I have been to Delphi in Greece. That's not far from where the Olympic Games started. And Delphi was where the oracle, orator, uh, oral, something is spoken. Uh, this was a woman that was possessed with what is called an oral, oracular spirit. Uh, Pythos was a snake. And uh, it was representative of a dragon or a demon. And this woman was possessed of some evil spirit. And uh, her needs are very great. She is owned. She is a slave. And she's owned by her masters. And she followed after, it says that she brought her masters much gain by telling fortunes. Uh, that meant that when she was possessed of this spirit, she could pr predict things that are to come. Uh, she could uh, find these things out through this demon connection. And there's a lot of the occult going on today. You can pick it up at the supermarket in some of those dumb newspapers that uh, are sold uh, there. You can watch the astrology tables and find it there. That stuff is, is from the devil. That's not from the Lord. And yet this, this woman is speaking something. Listen to me now. God doesn't need the devil's endorsement. And here's what happens. Following after Paul, she kept crying out saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Well, there's not anything wrong with that statement, is there? But it's coming from the wrong source, from a demon uh, speaking through this woman. And it says here that she continued doing this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. In the King James, it says he was grieved. And he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now this poor woman, unlike Lydia, a person of wealth and refinement and intelligence, did not own even her own body. But she was owned bodily by masters who used her oracular spirit to make money. Psychologically, she was a wreck. She was possessed of a demon. And yet here, deliverance comes to her. Deliverance comes to her. Because Paul casts out this demon in the name of Jesus Christ. This is important for us to remember. Do you know that today, in the newspapers, you can pick up and read about child pornography? Then you read about how centers where, uh, that are supposed to be daycare centers for children are being used and abused because of the terrible, exaggerated emphasis upon sex that exists, and then how people get into kinkier and kinkier sex, and then they go into this damnable destruction of little minds and little bodies. The devil will do anything 
to make money. Pornography is a billion dollar a year industry. It teaches you that a body is a thing. You get it. A person is meant to be loved. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, if the church attacked the pornography people, the abortion industry is a billion dollar industry, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Slavery was like that when William Wilberforce was making his speeches before Parliament. And someone told him uh, that uh, they could not see his point of view. William Wilberforce took gold sovereigns and put them in his eyes like monocles and, and held them like that. And he said, that's why you can't see. You can't see because of the gold that's there. You can't see because of the money that's in it. And so here it's rebuked by God. Well, this, of course, creates a riot. Wherever Paul went, there was a revival or a riot. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates and they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. You see, I told you they were anti-Semitic. And are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. It used to be that when you got a dime and it had that little head of mercury on the back of it, on the back, it had a, what I used to think were sheaves, but those were lictors. That's a rod. And that's meant to beat with. And they were beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely but they had forgotten due process of law. And he, receiving such a command, threw them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. That's a very uncomfortable position to be in. What would you have sung? Rescue the perishing? <laughs> what would you have sung? Well, I think Paul and Silas probably sung How Great Thou Art. They sung hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were all listening. You ever go to jail? I go every now and then to jail. Boy, it's hot. And jail, stinky. Saturday night you can't even do anything but stand up in some of those holding cells. It's terrible. I'm glad that Charles Colson's got a great ministry to try to assist people who are in prison. Well, these people listen. They listen because they heard something different. If I could paint for you a picture of really Christian greatness that came to me one time, and then I'll quickly get finished. I can remember going once with Dennis and Danny Agajanian. One played the guitar, the fastest guitarist who's supposed to be in the whole country, Dennis Agajanian, an Armenian. And his brother, Danny, plays a mandolin. And they were here visiting the Billy Grahams. And we went over to Asheville and had gone to some of the high schools together, and Ruth Graham was in the uh, car. 
And we wanted to go up to the jail, to the Buncombe County Jail. And the sheriff was very kind and let us come in to speak to the prisoners who were there. And Dennis and Danny could play so well that it attracted attention immediately. And I'll never forget Ruth, who would be representative of that Lydia woman, a person of refinement and culture. And I saw some haggled, toothless old woman who was coarse in all of her features. And while they were singing the hymn, The Old Rugged Cross, I saw that woman whose dirty face had, had big tears start streaming down her face, this prisoner. And she reached her hands, shaking through, through, through the bars, and she reached out to touch Ruth Graham's hand. And Ruth took her hand and held it very carefully and loved her hand. And I wish I had been a photographer and had a picture of that because it was a sensitive, loving thing to do. It was cross-cultural evangelism. It was the love of Jesus. This person could see hope in someone else, and it was there, and she loved what she was hearing, and her heart was touched by it. Well, there came an earthquake at this place in Philippi where Paul was in prison, and the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were flung open, and the chains shook in such a way that the prisoners were loosened. Now, if you just got through beating a lot of people with many blows, and then you suddenly found out they were loose, and you were the jailer, you might want to get a two-day lead on a fast horse out of there. Uh, but this jailer was a Roman soldier. He was a brutal person whose conscience was very callous. He knew that he was responsible for all of those prisoners, and he had been roused out of his sleep by the earthquake. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he was responsible for that, and some of us would have said, go ahead, kill yourself. Look what you did to us. But not Paul. Paul cried out with a loud voice, do yourself no harm. We're all here. Well, he had heard them talking about salvation. Perhaps he had heard Paul say to Silas, Silas, you give your testimony and then I'll give mine. He knew about that demon-possessed girl on the street whose life had been changed. And so this jailer calls for lights, he rushes in trembling with fear. He falls down before Paul and Silas, and he asks a question that I wish the churches would start asking again. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And answering, what must I do to be saved? Salvation. And Paul said, read Bart, Bruner, Tillich, Bultmann, no. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved in your household. It's not all that big a deal. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all those who were in his house. That means they gave him more instruction in crystallizing the meaning 
of the commitment which he was making to salvation. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. When you're converted, you go and wash the wounds that you've inflicted on other people. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household, and he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. You see what a tremendous thing. You've uh, got Lydia, the person of refinement. You've got this poor, demon-possessed wreck. You've got this callous Roman soldier. They are converted. And as a result of their conversion, their lives are given meaning. And generosity flows from their lives. Lydia has them come to start a house church there. The jailer provides food for them and washes their wounds. Uh, things begin to take place in a life like that. I've uh, got to close, but when I think of conscience, I found a poem, uh, a prayer, which I want to close with. Now listen. Save us, O oh God, from the blindness which is not even aware that it is sinning. From the pride which cannot admit that it is wrong. From the self-will which can see nothing but its own way. From the self-righteousness which can see no flaw within itself. From the callousness which has sinned so often that it has ceased to care. From the defiance which is not even sorry for its sins. From the evasion which always puts the blame on someone or something else from the heart so hardened that it cannot repent. Give us at all times eyes which are open to our own faults, a conscience which is sensitive and quick to warn, a heart which cannot sin and be peaceful, but which is moved to regret and to remorse, and so grant that being truly penitent we may be truly forgiven so that we may find that your love is great enough to cover all our sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a good lesson right there in prayer. Three kinds of conversions in a mission that comes. Let's bow in prayer. Oh God, again we pray, so grant that being truly sorry for our sins, we may be truly forgiven so that we may find that your love is great enough to cover all our sins. And now unto him who loved us and loosed us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, to him be all glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore.